Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast, where we brave scanning the net to find all the deep history and lore of cyberpunk. I'm Toasty, a fixer that's new to Night City with a desire to jump into the details of this gritty setting. And I'm Genesis, an old school media tech with a love of character deep dives. Together, we will bring you the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future. We've got incoming. Let's Delta. Welcome back to another episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. I'm your girl Genesis, and with me, as always, is Toasty. And just a quick note up top, I am not in my normal recording space, so if the audio quality is a little different, I'm sorry but I have no control over it this week. Now, Toasty, have you ever done something so stupid on air you are thinking of going back and editing several episodes to correct your idiocy? Well, that seems like a very pointed, like, question. Uh, (laughs) I... No, I maybe I don't know. Well, oh, oh, that's good, because I have, and I'll explain the reason behind that in the mid break. But yeah, I feel so stupid, but it's all good, and it's not my fault. <laughs> all right, there's that. There's that. It's not my fault. Now, tonight, we are going to make another jump across the ocean and land on the shores of South America. Are we ready? I think so. So, uh, tonight uh, is going to be a lot of history, not as much uh, of the other stuff that we're normally able to find, unfortunately. Um, We are moving to Central and South America. Um, But unfortunately, there's not a ton of stuff for it other than the very big thing that people probably heard of, of the the First and Second Central American Wars. 
So um, I think Johnny was a part of that, right? He fought in one of them or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, uh, but anyways, so uh, naturally, we're going to start with the first one. Uh, how weird did that be just to start with the second one? Just like, here you go. <laughs> the second one. That'd be weird. It would be very weird. Uh, so the first Central American War was an armed conflict which took place during the early 90s. The war pitted the U.S. against Panama, Nicaragua, Honduras, and El Salvador. So, yeah, I guess that is the very Central American countries right there. Mm-hmm. Now, due to their interventionist actions in South America, the U.S. received unilateral condemnation by the Organization of American States. The Panama Canal Treaty had expired, and the canal reverted to the Panamanian government. The U.S. sent military forces to Panama to retake the canal, citing national defense issues. But the Guardia Nacional took to the hills, fighting a guerrilla war from over the Honduran and Nicaraguan borders. By 1994, U.S. troops intervened in these nations as well, and a full-scale war was underway. The U.S. developed new elite mechanical light infantry battalions, and these cyber soldiers used the best of the new tech developed in the early 90s. I mean, I guess it's nice to see that, like, the U.S. hasn't changed in this this lore either. They just always want to go in and get involved and... Uh, and stuff that they don't need affairs. to get involved in. Exactly. Yeah. This decision proved to be invaluable with the advent of real warfare in Central and South America. In 1991 through 92, the U.S. anti-drug bioagent took effect all over the world. Hardest hit were the drug lords of South America, the main suppliers to the U.S. market. Their power waned with the destruction of their narcotic producing plants. They used their connections with the large EEC corporations to strike back, attacking the DEA on all fronts. Whether the Eurocorps were actually doing business with the drug lords or were simply taking advantage of an opportunity to weaken American resources, the result was the same. Conflict had already begun a year earlier with a limited intervention in the canal zone. The DEA caught up in the Gang of Four's political paranoia, expanded the war by sending the National Armed Forces further south. You know, and I just realized that we will be able to ask answer a question that we had last week when Turbo asked if his convoy would have been able to get through the Panam- Panama Canal. So we'll be able to answer that question by the end of tonight's episode. True. Now, the result was predictable. In the nearly 30 years since the Vietnam conflict, the lessons hard learned in the swamps of Southeast Asia had been forgotten. As before, large units equipped with heavy machinery were sent into the combat, where they unsuccessfully tried to chase down guerrilla units and irregulars who refused to stand and fight. The pattern started all over again. The enemy would strike 
and melt away into the tropical forests, sometimes even disappearing into the local populace. And partisan activity took a heavy toll on U.S. forces as acts of sabotage became the norm. Propaganda campaigns and assistance programs were useless. It's like, come on, history consistently repeats itself. Like, we won parts of the Revolutionary War because we went with guerrilla tactics and didn't fight the way that the British expected us to. Front and center, all lined up. Who can shoot faster? No, that doesn't work. Yeah, it's... Oh, well. I mean, like, by this point, the U.S. were kind of a bunch of, like, jackasses and bullies. So, I mean, as far as cyberpunk uh, history goes, I'm kind of glad they didn't learn their lessons. Yeah. Uh, Local economies had practically run on the wealth brought in by drugs, meaning those that didn't work in the production of drugs got their money from someone who did. This was the economic bond that had brought the drug lords to power in the first place, so much power that the actual governments of their countries were practically powerless to move against them. The people of the Southern Americas were quite well aware of the fact that the Americans had deprived them of their livelihood and hated them for it. They were only too glad to strike back in any way that they could. It's actually... I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me like just like they have so much power, um, even like even like uh, in real world, like the cartels in like Mexico have so much power. Um, we actually had like a thing where we were being told because I work in produce um, where we were being told that we weren't uh, going to expect avocados anymore because mm. basically the people who provided our uh, like our avocados that we like personally like um our personal provider essentially um he was paying his people so well that there was a lot of them that were going over there and the cartel sent people to them and said no you're gonna pay them the amount that we say you're gonna pay them or we're gonna get rid of you because he was paying them too well people were actually like leaving like you know the cartel run stuff and going to that person. So he got threatened. His life got threatened. We thought maybe that we weren't going to get avocados anymore because they also didn't want us to, they didn't want him to export them anymore. So it was like a big, it was a big thing. Damn. Yeah. Like, I, that would, I was not expecting a drug cartel story to connect with you on this one, but okay, that's. Avocados from Mexico. <laughs> That's the jingle. That's actually the jingle. It is. It is the jingle. Um, I have heard the avocados from Mexico. As the war in Vietnam had created the air mobile concept, the first Central American conflict molded the air mobile unit into a total aerodyne transport and combat outfit. Tactical experience proved that even helicopters couldn't deal with the thick forests in the face of interlocking anti-aircraft fire. Only aerodynes had the speed and aerial dexterity to accomplish this. Most of the world's aerodyne development was accomplished to produce better VTOLs for, for the war, 
What does that stand for? Uh, VTOLs, that's... Uh, I... VTOL aircraft. I've heard it in so many things. <laughs> Ver- vertical takeoff and landing aircraft is one that can take off and land vertically without relying on a runway. Oh, okay. So that's like a helicopter, basically. It's like a helicopter, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, almost every Aerodyne flying in the 2020s traces its origins back to the AVX-2, the first viable combat Aerodyne. Aerodyne. I keep Trump wanting to say Eurodyne, because I love Carrie. Yeah, yeah. U.S. military was becoming incre- increasingly airmobile and seemed destined to develop the world's first entirely aircraft-based military, which, when combined with new long-range smart weapons and 24-hour continuous battle tactics, began reversing the heavy casualty ratio back in favor of American forces. Then the bottom fell out. The stock market crash of 94 snowballed into the collapse of 95, and the Gang of Four began recalling ground units to the U.S., fearful of what might happen. Their concern was justified when federal authority collapsed altogether, and in 1996, anarchy began. And then the U.S. US was forced into martial law. So. Now that's that's one that I'm excited to talk about once we do finally travel a little bit further north and get to the U.S. is the big gang of four. I know that we've talked about them a little bit, but also some shady motherfuckers. Yeah. Now, as a result, after the several lengthy wars with the United States in the 1990s and the early 2000s, Central America emerged as a strong union of independent states working under a pact of mutual cooperation. The U.S. was expelled from all but the Panama Canal Zone, which it still holds by sheer military force against ongoing guerrilla aggression. And that is uh, the specific part that is listed in the Cyberpunk Red Corps, but the small little bit we get from it, because it's not uh, thoroughly hashed out yet. Uh, maybe eventually. It'd be exciting to see. Play like a cyberpunk red in Central America game. That'd be cool. See, and that's where we could throw our session at. You know, we've got the... That's where you and Perla were traveling through. And this is where we bring in Killian. See, we could all meet in Panama. <laughs> I'm gonna make this yeah. thing happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, during the war, nationalist, fact- nationalist factions in Brazil and Colombia used corporate fighting to support their own bids for land and influence. The result was a shattering of the old alliance that only now is beginning to be rebuilt. Now, when we get back from our mid-break, we are going to talk about the Second Central American War. So, let's go thank our patrons listen to some sponsors and find out my big mistake welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about the show and not the lore of cyberpunk we do have a new patron to shout out sergi welcome to the fam chum so great to see you here 
And special extra thanks to you also, because you joined the two girls. Major love. Big hearts. But this is cyberpunk. We don't do that bullshit around here. Thanks for the sponsorship, Choom. <laughs> now, we don't have any new reviews to read out. And I have gotten a few more comments on Spotify. So I love reading those and seeing them every week. Thanks for leaving them. If you do choose to leave a review on iTunes, uh, remember to talk to your cyberpunk referee. They should give you 10 extra IP per Jay Gray. Because we don't make the rules, but Jay literally does. So go cash them in. Now, here is my mistake for the week. For the month. For the, maybe the last two months. FanRollDice.com. Use your code CPLC and stack it with the Almighty Crit Gang's code at checkout. Almighty Crit's code is actually Almighty C10. Not Crit. I was wrong. I've said it wrong every week since I found out about code stacking. My bad. So, at fanrolldice.com, at checkout, use the code CPLC, Cyberpunk Lorecast, and Almighty C10, that is A-L-L-M-I-G-H-T-Y-C-1-0, at checkout, for 20% off of your order. Go get you some dice. I saw these really gorgeous ones that are cat eye. And while they're like normally $100, getting them 20% off is making it really, really tempting. Because they're actual stone. Mm. Stone. I want to get a... I want to get a pair of amethyst dice one day. I would never roll them. I just want them. They, they have amethyst on there. Should have told me that. Damn it. I'm going to go make irresponsible choices now. All right. Let's get back into it and talk about the Second Central American War. Is very it is kind of interesting um, that this is called the the Second Central American War. It's it's a very it's a very oddly named uh, oddly name for this war in particular because the Second Central American War, also known as the Second South American War or New Vietnam, uh, was a conflict from 2003 to 2010 in which the U.S. invaded. Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela. Just South America, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, definitely South America, not Central America. But I guess it kind of has to do with the same U.S. mentality following the first Central American War. Um, this war resulted in a disaster that cost thousands of american lives and left thousands of veterans that struggled to get back home now the second central american war took place on january 15th 2003 
That must be when it started, not when the entire war took place all in one day. Yeah, no, it probably took place in one. No. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. invaded those aforementioned countries, and the war was a complete disaster, which cost thousands of American lives. Eventually, the remainder of the Gang of Four was swept away on a wave of reform. With a modicum of civilian control and order returning to the United States, the Department of Defense and the Drug Enforcement Agency once again turned their attention to the Central American problem. Of course they did. They were confident that their new military units, equipped with AVs and the beginnings of cyber soldiery, could defeat the depleted forces of the South American drug lords. They legitimized the war by declaring that the drug lords were still a danger to the U.S. economy, despite the fact that the majority of drugs sold in the U.S. were purely artificial designer narcotics manufactured domestically. So they're made in-house. But no, it's, it's the South American drug lords that are the problem. It was universally recognized that the war was nothing less than a nearly naked land grab to supply the U.S. with a captive resource base and a solid hold over the entire Western Hemisphere. This move is also what delayed the final destruction of the Gang of Four, it was resisted by the Euro corporations, which already had a solid economic hold over South America. All right. So I had to do a quick little Googling just to double check. And Central America, this is from like real world right now, Wikipedia. Central America usually consists of seven countries. Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. So I was for in my brain i couldn't place where ecuador was and so i wasn't sure if it was part of central america or not yeah i was i knew it because it's like it's like to the left of el salvador isn't it is it on the other side i can't remember no. it's like a weird because it kind of comes around in the curves weird so so if you're looking at the so it's, Unique fun little fact here. El Salvador I is the... Huh? <laughs> I said left. I, I west. I should have said west. It should be correct here. No, but that's the fun little fact about El Salvador is that it is the only Central American country that does not border both sides. So it only touches the Pacific Ocean. I was right. Yeah. Guatemala, it's... Uh, it's I, I say it's more north-west... But it's still westward from El Salvador. So um, I'll take it. I'll take that. Wait, am I completely wrong? Now I need to look because I thought that El Salvador was the only one that was on the so west. It's 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 Belize and Guatemala, and then El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Panama. Because, yeah, okay, so El Salvador is the only country that only touches the Pacific Ocean. It does not touch the Atlantic at all. Right. It's a little tiny one. It's smaller than I 
was expecting. El Salvador is very tiny. Very, very tiny. I was like, I know, like, around, well, just specifically around my area that I live in, there's a lot of El Salvadorians. Mm-hmm. Like, I work with, at the my last store, the majority of the people in my produce department were El Salvadorian. <laughs> Small world, Toasty, because that is where uh, my grandmother is from, my grandfather is from there, my mom was born there, half of my aunts and uncles were born in El Salvador. So, there you go. You ended up with a half El Salvadorian co-host. I ain't complaining. The war turned into a struggle for domination for the rest of the hemisphere, with the U.S. pouring almost all of its military force into it, and the Eurocorps providing aid, training, equipment, and money to the indigenous armies resisting the invasion. This pattern mirrored the decades-old Soviet tactic of fighting wars. Let's you and him, let's you and him fight. Meaning, like, I want you and you to fight while I stand over here and just watch. And reap the rewards after. Mm-hmm. This was not a coincidence. The Euros chose the military advisors of the Neo-Soviet Union to guide the progress of the war. In this case, the European plan was not to directly contest the American military military effort, but instead to make the invasion so costly that the Americans would lose in the end, replicating the pattern established in Vietnam and Afghanistan. I mean, smart. Smart planning. Yeah. We were fall- they, they were falling for it again. <laughs> Obligingly, the gang of four decided to invade with full force into the inhospitable territories of Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and Venezuela, fighting in a combination of jungle and mountainous terrain against determined foes, people defending their ancestral homes and lives. Naturally, the American cost in casualties and material loss was tremendous. The war dragged on for almost eight years, draining the U.S. economy. Yes, fighting wars that we financially can't support. Hmm. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Not at all. Now, true to the neo-Soviet plan, the war was terminated not by military loss, but by the lack of military victory. The Gang of Four struggling to maintain popularity with and power over the American people had settled on a successful war as the best and quickest plan to bolster their sagging control, a time-tested and proven solution to low popularity practiced by presidents from Johnson through Bush. It backfired, and the Gang of Four was swept from office by the government reforms passed by the new Congress. The war continued to drag on at a reduced level, degenerating into a series of small firefights between American troops and indigenous guerrillas. Finally, the U.S. gave up, and the war ended with a whimper. The the Eurocorps triumphant. I just want this part was like particularly set, but also I know what it develops into. And so therefore it kind of still makes me happy. The 
As the U.S. forces begin to pull out of their bases and return to the States, one of the most tragic events of the war occurred. During the war, the understaffed military had hired hundreds of thousands of civilian contractors, most of them skilled but unemployed before the conflict began. By the end of the war, over half a million of them were on site in Panama City and other military bases in Panama and Colombia. Unfortunately, severe budget cuts by the new Congress curtailed the amount of money available for the withdrawal to the U.S., and the decision was made to abandon the civilians in Panama, terminating their employment and leaving them high and dry while the rest of the regular military left. The result was the infamous Nomad March of 2010 through 11, which had a higher casualty count than the war and culminated in the formation of numerous Mexican nomad gangs and coastal pirates. Aha. But I believe this does uh, progress into the development of the Aldecados, right? So it's kind of just the the benefit to it because we love the Aldecados around here. <clears throat> yes, we do. Um, and because definitely you can see that this is the formation of it. And even like the coastal pirates, they could have also started forming the oceanic tribes and, you know, all the splittings and everything from there. Yeah. And then by 2045, I mean, the nomads are the only reason that the world still runs. So right. shout out to the nomads. Oh, sorry. I'm, I love nomads. They're my favorite. Nomad pride. <laughs> Now, we do have a little bit um, from the Red Core source book and on Central and South America. So, in South America, Argentina, Chile, and Brazil, they all rose to become the de facto leaders of the Organization of American States, having thrown the U.S. out after their actions in the South American Wars. The OAS maintained its place as a major world power on the level of the European Union. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah. So, as we said before, uh, the nationalistic factions of Brazil and Colombia had been using the war to support their own bids for land, but it didn't work out. The alliance shattered, still working on being rebuilt, but the Organization of American States soon rallied, and with the help of strong economic partners like Argentina and a newly democratic Brazil uh, are rebuilding their cities and establishing new trading partners, especially with the high riders and the nomads. The high riders, uh, if you remember correctly, those are the people who live in space. Space nomads. Yeah. Space nomads. The lat am wars shard in 2077 which stands for latin american wars because that makes more sense than you know war number one and war number two <laughs> as a direct result of the armed conflicts in on u.s soil from the early 1990s until the early 2000s latin america comprising of south and central america remodeled itself into a strong federation of independent nations bound through mutual aid and cooperation. The U.S.'s military presence was forced from Latin American territories, with the exception of Panama, where it stood its ground despite fierce pressure from guerrilla forces. 
Many researchers and contemporary historians maintain that, in fact, the Latam Wars were responsible for the U.S.'s eventual collapse, breaking up the Gang of Four, and decimating the U.S. Army. However, it's important to bear in mind that no external conflict could have toppled the colossus of American imperialism were it not already built on clay foundations. Damn, shards in 2077 getting all poetic and shit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty funny, but uh, let me see, actually, if it says specifically, it's just, yeah, it's just a shard. I don't, it doesn't say anything about who, who wrote it, but obviously whoever wrote it uh, had some strong and probably fairly correct opinions. Yeah. Okay. So tonight's a little bit of a shorter episode because there's not a whole lot of information to go over in these wars. But so let's wrap it up for the night. And do you have anything else that you want to talk about about Central and South America? Uh, no, that's I mean, I, I I shared my little story earlier. That was kind of my big like relation to to real life but i don't i don't have like uh a ton of connections otherwise uh not as much as you apparently so yeah definitely have a lot of big family connections to el salvador and i still have family that live down there and everything like that to this day um i haven't been there myself yet though it's definitely on the bucket list and obviously uh my family did not grow up in cyberpunk el salvador so it's a very different experience well i mean i don't know i'm not like versed in it but i guess that hopefully means that they weren't raised in an active well yeah, weren't raised in an active war zone nineties and two thousands. So I was like, uh, no. By the by, the nineties, they were definitely. Uh, my grandfather had lived up here. Um, where so like the core family that I know of, they were out of it. Uh, but my grandfather did fight in the El Salvadorian Civil War back in the day, and that is how he got political refugee status to move out of El Salvador. Yeah, nice. So there we go. Yeah. All right, but I don't think that I have anything else to add to that for tonight. So let's wrap it up and call it a night here, Toasty. So make sure that you give us a follow on Twitter at CyberpunkLore. Come hit us up on Patreon.com slash CyberpunkLoreCast. And if you want to hear more from me, uh, please go check out the Two Girls, One Ship podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. And if you want more of me, uh, you can always find me at the Witcher Lorecast, where we talk about the 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 books, the video games, the uh, the show that is new seasons coming up, and I'm dreading horribly. Um, but you know, if you want to go hear me go on a rant, which I probably will, and uh a month or so uh go check us out over there uh and i of course also do the cyberpunk red live play podcast cyberpunk cyberpunk apostrophe d with the fumbling for an almighty crit gang uh like i've been saying the last couple of weeks you should really head over there check out because you're going to get a very wonderful surprise pretty soon you, i think you'll enjoy 
Yes. And of course, we shout out Miracle of Sound every episode for allowing us to use his music as part of our intro, mid-break, and outro. Miracle of Sound, go check him out and listen to the instrumental version of Neon Red. All right, Toasty, while the people are out there, always remember. Stay safe in Night City. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.